Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the Newsbusters podcast. News keeps breaking. News we don't necessarily like. Nick Night Train Fondacaro is going to have a rough time now because Chris Cuomo has emerged from the dead of television. They announced that he's joining News Nation, the Dan Abrams Network. You know, they sold themselves as we're going to be the non-opinionated objective people. Mm, not when you hire Chris Cuomo. Also, The View is bringing on Alyssa Farah Griffin as their quote-unquote conservative voice. Anybody who does, does that without the scare quotes is not being accurate. But the main thing today we thought we'd bring back Jorge Bonilla, direct from Orlando, director of MRC Latino. And what's this? Your Twitter says you're the Ayatollah of Española? Yes, uh, that was... Uh... You know who coined that was John Brodigan, uh, the head writer for Louder with Crowder. Oh. Um, that's a Chris. For, for those wrestling fans uh, in, in the audience, that's a Chris Jericho callback. Oh. When he first burst on the scene in the late 90s, WCW, WWE, he would go into his promos and he would say, all hail the Ayatollah of rock and roll. Oh. So, so Brodigan <laughs> uh, uh, coined that. And you know what? I, I don't normally... Uh, adopt other people's coinage but that was that was just beautiful and brilliant and i could not just just let that go so now it's a part of my bio well it's just like uh years ago fred barnes called brent baker our uh, our boss here uh as the scourge of liberal media bias in fact i think i think baker got a jersey like a caps jersey with the word scourge on the back uh so yeah you when you take the branding when it's offered to you you take it, and and that is and what's funny is that that is part actually an apt description of of the role that that I serve uh, here at the MRC. So it's it's it was just awesome all around. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons that it's fun to talk today about the Latino uh, issues in media was that uh, Michael LaRosa, the press secretary for Jill Biden, has become the latest to jump ship which we thought right away was a victory lap for Jorge Bonilla on Taco Gate. He didn't leave after Cisse Poidway, but I guess the Bogodas was too much. That was just too much. Between that and, and the Miami Blossoms, which to this day, still nobody, <laughs> it's been a couple of weeks, Tim, and still nobody knows what, what in the blue heck Miami Blossoms are. But uh, Taco Gate definitely broke Mike LaRosa. And, you know, given the embarrassment, given the walk back, given the massive, I mean, you think of Joe Biden as the gaffe machine of the family. And you think of Joe Biden as as being the elephant in the certain in the parade, wherein the comps person's job is to walk behind the elephant with a shovel mm -hmm. uh, as the parade goes by. But it seems to be a little was it known to us that Joe Biden is also an elephant in the parade and apparently uh la rosa got tired of carrying the shovel and he hit the exit it's usually jill's uh job to sort of drag joe away from the the cameras and the microphone sort of like the easter bunny at the egg roll uh but yes i think especially on these latino issues she is uh 
She's made a mess. You know, La Rosa usually had this easy job of like lining her up for stories, gushing over how she went for donuts at the local bakery. I mean, that's the kind of story Jill Biden right. usually gets, that sort of Michelle Obama treatment. It's it's supposed to, first lady stuff is supposed to be about, like you said, if 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 they make some some run at, at the donut shop, it's supposed to be about fashion items, or at least it, it is when a Democrat first lady is in the White House. It's supposed to be about their fashion. Um, it's supposed to be about whatever cause celeb they they adopt and make their own while they're in the White House. And these things usually allow for a fountain of free media and goodwill media uh, to showcase the humanity of, of the White House and of the First Lady, if you will. But Joe Biden, who many observers uh, seem to think is the actual caretaker president uh, of, of this Biden administration, has just been awful in that regard in, in terms of gaffe after gaffe, especially when it comes to Hispanics, which once again is proof evident as I've said before, that the Bidens never needed a Hispanic vote in their life. They never had to campaign for Hispanic votes. They never had to engage the Hispanic community. And when Joe Biden goes in front of La Raza and says, uh, you know, Boga does of the Bronx, Blossoms of Miami, and the, the diverse like breakfast tacos, it shows. It shows. And unfortunately, this got to a boiling point and La Raza had to go. Well, I think it's important for us as the Media Research Center to underline that this whole thing, this whole gaffe started based on a video made by Jorge Bonilla, um, which went through some very complicated process of downloading this to pushing it over to that. Until oh, man. You, until, until you finally put it on Twitter where it got a million views or something. It, yes. Uh, what we ended up doing was... Uh, because I, I was I was away from from the computer. I grabbed it on my phone off of the Facebook feed, and this is an iPhone. So I now not not to bore you all with with tech and with production <laughs> here, but uh, I grabbed it off of my phone because I did the iPhone screen record, uh, ran it through iMovie, sent it to myself via the MRC Slack, downloaded it into into my computer, ran it through uh, Movie Maker, which is the software that that we use here at MRC Latino, and then uh, added the, the, uh, the, the watermark, added the watermark, added the, the branding, the MRC Latino branding, and uploaded it then into Twitter. But, you know, I knew from the moment that I was told, uh, Kathleen Krumansel, our, our analyst uh, at MRC Latino, when she told me that there was going to be a Latinx Incluxion Luxion at uh <laughs> US. I knew, I knew, Mr. Graham, <laughs> that there was gonna be hijinks and tomfoolery and buffoonery afoot. And I knew that somehow, some way, Joe Biden was gonna give us a magic moment. And she did not fail. Well, just Joe Biden did not disappoint. Latinx inclusion. I mean, that's like that's like a Babylon B fake. It's just so over the top. It's almost too bad to be true, <laughs> but it, alas, it was. And I sat through that. Uh, I, I saw Joe Biden's speech, all of it, and uh, that was a uh, that was a remarkable moment. But just again, this is this is uh, the value of having an MRC Latino in place 
that is is tasked with with watching these things and uh, monitoring these events. And you know, when lightning uh, flashes like that, we're able to catch it in a bottle and put it out there. Well, let's talk about then the other thing that we wanted to make sure that listeners and uh, Newsbusters fans knew about the other victory lap for MRC Latina, which is this disturbing child rape story out of Ohio uh, where uh, we had discovered that, uh, there, yes, there was a 10-year-old girl who was raped, um, and then we discovered it was, well, you had, you had said early on you suspected this was going to be uh, the mother's boyfriend, but then we had the whole thing added to it, which is the mother and the mother's boyfriend are, are they both Guatemalan? They're definitely both undocumented. They, they both, they're both undocumented. Um, further reporting, uh, it turns out that she's from Oaxaca, Mexico. So you had made this point. You had worked uh, in the court system. I did. As an interpreter, and you were the one that said, I think this is, uh, I've seen this before. Uh, and then the way the story has developed, you tweeted the other day, my sense is this story has received the Kermit, Kermit Gosnell local crime story treatment now that details have emerged, which hinder clean advancement of an agenda in furtherance of abortion on demand until the moment of birth. I mean, it, 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 I get the point, which is now it's an inconvenient story. They don't want any more digging because then it's, it's, it's suddenly turning into a... Um, an undocumented immigrant crime story, which they never like. They they never like it, the story has becomes too messy. There comes a point, Tim, at which the story becomes too messy to to cleanly advance uh, an abortion agenda. So they they sanitize that part out of the story, and you have something like you had uh, last night on the CBS Evening News. Right, where where the the doctor uh, Dr. Caitlin her uh, Caitlin Barnett I think Bernard. is her name uh, Barnhart uh, where Dr. Caitlin Barnhart was interviewed and it's she becomes the focus of the story the true victim of the story here in the 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 corporate legacy media's framing is not the ten year old child whose innocence was shattered and who was horrendously sexually battered by someone in her household. It's the noble abortion uh, provider who was uh, impeded from providing an abortion in the state of Ohio. And she suddenly becomes the heroine and simultaneously the victim of the story. Well, she was the now, abortion provider in Indiana. In Indiana, Who yes. the child came to. Let's, let, I have here, I wanted to run a, a snippet of this. With CBS Evening News anchor Nora O'Donnell, I mean, you're, you're, you're exactly right in that she was presented as somebody who was sort of victimized by Republican politicians. Uh, let's hear a clip of this. Generally speaking, how often do you receive calls from doctors in other states that say they have young, young women who have been raped and need an abortion? Unfortunately, sexual assault in children is not uncommon. I'm not the only provider who has taken care of young children needing abortion care. When your name was publicly attached to this case, the Attorney General of Indiana said he would investigate you. What was your reaction? It's been really difficult. Have you felt threatened? Yes. Yes, I have. Um, and it 
you know, it shows how, you know, abortion, instead of being um, part of healthcare, which it is, um, a needed life-saving procedure, which it is, has been used to create a wedge between people politically and personally. Yeah, this is the, the spin I, I cannot stand when a journalist sits there and lets an abortionist call abortion a life-saving procedure. You cannot get more Orwellian than calling an abortion a life-saving procedure. But yeah, as you see here, I mean, the thing that kind of other thing that kind of stuck out to me, Jorge, was the abortionist saying, hey, sexual assault in children is not uncommon. Well, see, suddenly it's like the abortionists were fine doing these abortions in secret. And now that Roe's been overturned, now they want to make it a public issue. Right. Uh, you know, that line about sexual abuse of children, not uncommon. Well, that that's really the story, isn't it, Tim? Yeah, that's really the story that the kids are being. Uh, sexually battered by members of their household in in other states, and I I got to tell you the, the 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 two people that are doing God's work on this story on on chasing the 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 nitty gritty well the three of them really Maria Vargas Piona Telemundo who whose reporting uh, led to the initial to the video that that went viral and and exposed the details of the fact that she was with. That the, that the child's mother was a partner, a domestic partner of the defendant, that there were additional children in the home, that she's pregnant with the defendant's baby. Uh, her reporting uh, exposed that. Then you had Mia Cathal of Town Hall. You had Megan Fox of PJ Media, who are relentlessly and, and doggedly after the authorities in Ohio, who have, have completely shut down and isolated themselves in terms of giving out any non-identifying public information, uh, because you want to be sensitive, there's a child involved, but there is information that can be given out with regard to the story. Like, for example, is there a dependency case? Have the authorities moved uh, to shelter the child? Right. And because because are there, there there's failure to protect questions here with the mother. Right. Did the mother adequately protect the child from sexual from, from this rapist? And these questions have emerged. The corporate legacy media are not talking about these things. Megan Fox was suggesting that, you know, why are their children still in the home? Right. Like, If you look at the timeline of when these things happen, like this particular rape happened uh, sometime in May, which, you know, it's horrendous to think. But if if the rape happened in May and it wasn't the first time, how much grooming was going on beforehand? Oh, That's a horrendous question to to. A horrendous scenario to ponder. But the rape happened in May. The the crime was reported on June 22nd. Mm. The abortion was performed on June 30th. Law enforcement came in to get DNA samples uh, into the apartment where the daughter, where the child was present on July 6th. Mm. And the arrest wasn't made until July 12th. So why was the girl... In that home all that time, was the rapist in that home during that time? And he was admitted, the child, can yeah. I say this? He admitted multiple sexual assaults. And he confessed to multiple, yes. Uh, you know, was this child endangered in service of an abortion agenda? These are the questions that, that have been asked, have been raised, and that have been stonewalled so far 
because again, the, the media's focus is on circling the wagons around uh, Dr. Caitlin Barnett, and it's just horrendous. So now on Monday, as we run down the list of what's going on at MRC Latino, on Monday, the Washington Times had a front page story, top of the front page, uh, on Radio Soros. Uh, the Democrat quoted in this piece by Stephen Dine, and I, I got a kick out of it. I know you get a kick out of this guy. Darren Soto, Democrat of Florida, vice chair of policy for the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, who said the sale of 18 AM and FM radio stations to Latino media network will help us ensure that mis slash disinformation isn't running rampant through Spanish language radio across Florida and the United States. And then he says, as we've seen in the past, these efforts to target our communities are extremely dangerous. And then you came in, in, the, in paragraph four, we're still on the front page. This is not about disinformation. This is about power. This is about control. This is about funneling Hispanics into, quote, unquote, approved sources of news and entertainment. And then uh, later in the story, you added, the Soros-backed group is clearly a desperation play. The Democratic Party is bleeding Hispanic, Hispanic voters at an alarming clip. And the left is simply out of options as far as how to engage Hispanics that have always been more socially conservative. And this goes to what you said a few minutes ago, and that is this is a, the, the Latino vote is in play, and it's routinely in play, but people presume it, it's not. People, people presume it is. People presumed, people have presumed incorrectly. And based on on a wholesale acceptance of the left's framing, that Hispanics are a monolith and that they are a left-leaning monolith. And what has happened is that because of these assumptions that have now been proven wrong for years, uh, the left simply took Hispanics for granted and the right simply conceded Hispanics to the left. We believed for many years the hype that Hispanics, uh, that the gateway issue to Hispanics was immigration. Right. But as I said um, at the Sunshine Summit last weekend, um, but when Donald Trump went down that gilded staircase, because he, he blew immigration up, that sort of foreclosed him to that traditional pathway of engagement to Hispanics. And it forced him and the party to move on other issues. And it turned out, that Hispanics line up on, on, on economic issues, on family life, on, on social issues, on the sexualization of children in schools, opposed to that. And, you know, as a result of that, Hispanics have begun shifting to the right. And in terms of the media landscape, yes, it is absolutely about power and control. That's why these Radio Soros uh, stations are making these moves. Darren Soto is what I call the chairman of the Congressional Censorship Caucus. Yeah. He's the one that uh, went after the the purchase of another uh, anti-communist radio station in Miami. They didn't block that sale with the FCC, but through other unforced errors, the FCC ended up shutting down that sale. Uh, but he had a role in that. He's, he's constantly trying to, to go after, quote unquote, misinformation in Hispanic media. And as I often tell people, Tim, we are in a unique space uh, in terms of Spanish language media. When I joined uh, MRC Latino, 
as a contributor in 2014. The only ball game in town were Univision, Telemundo, CNN, and Espanol, and the Spanish language newspapers nationally uh, owned by Impre Media, which had a huge left left bias. Mm-hmm. But there was no conservative TV. There's no conservative radio, uh, other than local stations. Really, Mambi was the only one. Right. Um, Univision America uh, had emerged in ten markets. Which, by the way, those old stations are now the new Soros stations. Right. Univision America. Right. It was a syndicated talk radio network. But in terms of of conservatives having a voice in Spanish language media, we are at a place comparable to the early days of the MRC, where in 87, when the MRC was founded, you had the big three networks, and you had the the New York Times, the Washington Post, LA Times, that was it. Rush Limbaugh wasn't on the air yet. Wouldn't be for another year or so. Fox News wouldn't come on the air for another eight years. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of the space where we are at in Spanish language media, where now you have some some conservative emerging media coming online, uh, El American, uh, Americano media, uh, Vos media. You have local radio stations now, more of a presence, more online programs. But we're still at that early place. So I'm, I'm very happy that the, the broader movement is beginning to take note of these things. Uh, the Hispanic community is not a monolith. And it is not predisposed to the left. Like any community, if you engage them where they're at on issues that are important to them, you're going to get a fair shake. And more than likely, they're going to come to our side. Well, I should mention, since we were quoting from the Washington Times, I will say the Washington Times, I believe, began in 1982. Um, Although some could argue that the Washington Times was sort of a local D.C. paper. It didn't seem as national in the 80s, and then they created this Insight magazine, which was probably a little more national. You could get the Insight magazine back then in the mail. Uh, but it was, it, you know, you mentioned the Sunshine Summit. That was something else I wanted to get to, is that uh, you were there speaking at the Sunshine Summit with uh, Russia's got Bo Snerdly. Yes, I had a panel with Bo Snerdly on, on minorities uh, leaving the Democrats. And... Uh, there was some notice over the weekend that uh, DeSantis press secretary, Christina Pushow, uh, uh, some of the mainstream reporters, quote unquote, were complaining about their lack of access to the Sunshine Summit, which she tweeted, my message to them is to try crying about it, then go to kickboxing and have a margarita, which is a reference to Jen Psaki. Right. And then she said, and then go write the same hit piece you were going to write anyway, which is... You know, this, so this is the kind of thing that uh, uh, spurred, this may have spurred or made uh, the Washington Post decide to unload um, a sort of a hit piece by media reporter Paul Fari, uh, F-A-R-H-I. Um, and so it was basically sort of a rundown of all the Christina controversies Um the the there was a there was a weird comparison to Dennis Rodman. I don't know if you saw that. No, I I, I did not. I haven't read the full piece yet. What, what was that? It was this idea that somehow Dennis Rodman would sort of troll you into not having your best game. You know, it wasn't the Dennis Rodman who uh, 
who hung out with North Korean dictators. It was, <laughs> it was sort of a weird thing. But this was the line. This was the line that just killed me. I had to go put it on Twitter with the laughing emojis. This governor has used his communications team more like a campaign-style operation than a public information operation, said Mary Ellen Kloss, a reporter for the Miami Herald, who has covered six Florida governors. Quote, they view reporters as their enemies. They are more antagonistic to reporters just by default and often without cause. That... <laughs> Without cause. Yeah, because, yeah, you that. know, DeSantis, they love him in the press. Yeah, the media loves him. Look, there's precedent for this, Tim. Uh, there's precedent for, for, quite frankly, there's precedent for conservative politicians shutting out a hostile media when, when they, once they've made a determination that they don't have good intent. You'll remember a decade ago when Univision tried to indict Marco Rubio or prosecute him, if you will, as an unindicted co-conspirator to drug trafficking. Oh my! In order to get him to, they ran stories. That, you know, did Marco Rubio uh, make money off of, uh, you know, off of drug trafficking, off his brother-in-law's drug trafficking? And they did this in order to browbeat him into coming on with Jorge Ramos to argue about immigration. That was the whole thing. And as a result of that, both Marco Rubio and and the National Republican Party. Shut Univision out completely. They shut him out. Marco Rubio went back on Univision National one time to to give Jorge Ramos a beatdown and promote his book. <laughs> and then that was it. He hasn't been back since. And, you know, the same thing applies here in Florida. And let me just clarify. Uh, journalists, I was there. Journalists were able to see and to view the events. There were multiple TV monitors set outside the main halls. What they could not do was go into the main halls and try and identify the freak show and interview them and make them the focus of the event. Like what like what they do at CPAC. Right. Like they you know, just did where, to, what do they do? They just did to the Nazi guys at the TPUSA conference. Right, right. So that's what they do, you know, like when they go to CPAC, they don't they never find the normie. They never find the normal conservative. They, they're going to find somebody who's either, um, you know, carrying a Confederate flag or a right. Nazi flag, right. or who's dressed uh, as uh, as in the days of the Revolutionary War. Although I don't see anything wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, that's kind of cool. But they, yeah, they 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 do. They they're going to gravitate to that and suggest it's a freak show. Yeah, they'll, they'll and they'll you know they'll try to make a spectacle out of it. So the the RPOF, what they did is that they made the event public the event was on monitors people could watch the debates which uh interesting thing there were two there were four congressional debates two of them were moderated by mark levin the great one and sitting next to him was governor DeSantis. Mm -hmm. so it was a pretty cool trial by combat concept going on there uh where you had to debate in front of the governor and the governor was interjecting and asking questions also but these the, the, the whole these whole proceedings, all the speeches, all the events, all the forums, they were available publicly. I imagine they I imagine they still are like you could watch them now. Yeah. But I mean, they, they, you know, they were and they were it's funny because they, they were all sitting in in a, I guess it was a, like a coffee shop or something uh, out just outside of the uh, I think I saw Weigel there among some others. <laughs> and it was uh, it was uh, just outside of the main hall. 
And, uh, you know, they were just watching people go in and out. But the proceedings were available. They could they could see, they could hear what was going on, they could see what was going on. What they could not do was go inside and try to make a freak show out of it, ask people questions about, uh, you know, whatever thing, and try, try to make it about Democrat narratives, whether on January 6th, whether on right. whether Trump is going to run or not in 24, right. and sort of pursue those those uh those those angles of of discomfort, if you will. Well, it's their favorite. It's their definition of what news is, as opposed to whatever the Republicans want to discuss. You know, I I did a column on this. Um, there was a piece in New York Magazine that was sort of sort of panicking over the idea that the Republican presidential candidates for twenty twenty four are not going to grant a bunch of interviews to the so called mainstream objective media, um, and uh, how. Republican voters, it's the way they want it. And, and uh, you know, they even falsely suggested, Mr. Jorge Bonilla, that uh, that Ron DeSantis did not speak to 60 Minutes for the Sharon Alfonsi hit piece. Well, no, he didn't sit down for an interview, but Sharon Alfonsi showed up at a press conference and yelled at him. So there was a CBS interview of DeSantis in the story. <laughs> just they just the- didn't like they just didn't like that, that DeSantis uh, shut down Sharon Alfonsi. When she tried to run some some fakey fake stuff by him, and he didn't, and he caught it and and smacked it down, and they didn't like that. So there comes a point, you know. We would like to have a healthy media. We'd like to have a healthy media that explores all sides of an issue that doesn't come into a story with preconceived narratives that reports news and facts as opposed to propaganda and talking points. But we are not at that place. And when there is such an obvious, it goes beyond partisan bias at this point. When there is such a propagandistic intent, at what point do you still have an obligation of engaging the media? That's that's a very valid question, and so that's a very valid approach that that uh, that people are taking now. Yeah, I think that my whole objection here is as 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 you suggested was in a Republican campaign where Republican candidates are trying to win Republican votes, you're going to have a Democrat media come in and make all of the questions about Trump in January 6th. And that's not what Republican voters, that's not what they're going to make their decisions on. I mean, obviously, if Trump's in the race, they're going to have to make their decisions on the fact that this guy can't concede that he lost or that he sat around on his butt in the kitchen or in the dining room letting it all unfold and watching it not doing anything about it that's a that's an issue for republican voters but it's not the issue and that's the obviously the problem with the news media is to them that is the only issue in the republican party today and that's where it's like yes the republican party primary should be a place for republicans to talk to other republicans and so there's nothing wrong with saying um no you don't get to decide what our issues what we're going to discuss it's why that they're basically saying at the Republican National Committee, we're not going to go through your beat-down debate model. Right. Uh, no more John Harwoods. Yeah, exactly. I mean, John Harwood, any, anybody who's been retweeted by Ron Klain should not be allowed to moderate a debate in the general election. That should be, that should be a minimum standard right there. <laughs> All right, so let's run some, uh, through some other. We'll do a quick roundup of some of the other things you've been breaking at MRC Latino that were uh, amusing or upsetting. Uh, 
Biden Sometimes gets, both at the same time. Yes. Biden gets COVID. You say Univision goes full North Korea. That was uh that was a fascinating uh report to watch. Uh by the way, it's been reported that Biden is COVID free now. Thankfully, yes. Biden is is healthy. Um some of us jokingly have said that or I've said jokingly that people think that Kamala Harris is the hair the heir apparent to Joe Biden. She's not. She's his 25th Amendment bomb vest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you want to kick me out of here? I'll pull the pin on this. See how you like it. That's what they always said about Quayle back when George H.W. Bush was president. It was insurance to make sure that Bush was always there. All things old or new again. Um, but uh, yeah, so with this report, he had the COVID and Univision just went into this you know, oh, Joe Biden's the oldest president in history, but he is fit. He is vigorous. He is trim. He is at his home. He rode a bicycle. He fell down, but he got right back up. He is healthy. He is fine. Uh, and I'm like, oh, my God, they're really trying to do this to people. They're really trying to do this gaslight that this mentally unstable, uh, close to 80 year old president. But when you're president of the United States, 80 is really 120 <laughs> with the high miles and the wear and tear and the stress. Of, of everything that, that goes into the office. And now he has uh, COVID and they're still trying to present him like he's a vigorous individual who hasn't had these, these physical ailments and this mental breakdown and, you know, the falling on, on, on the steps up, up the ramp to, to air force one and the gate and, and the falling off of the bicycle well, it's and sort the of... wandering around and shaking hands with, with thin air. It reminds... Like it never happened. <laughs> Yes, and then the fact checkers say he did. He didn't shake hands with thin air. He was motioning. He was pointing with all five fingers. Uh, the they reminded me sort of of the Ruth Bader Ginsburg planking site sort of propaganda. She's fit. She's vigorous right up until the moment she dies. Yeah. Uh, at which point? At which point they began to crucify her for not retiring during the Obama administration. Well, they sort of did that behind the scenes. I don't think they did a lot of that in in on regular news shows. Uh, then there was. All three Spanish language networks discovered a quote unquote immigration crisis. Now there was a crisis when the governors of Texas and Arizona started sending the undocumented immigrants on buses to to D.C. and New York City. Mr. Graham, is it reasonable to expect that so-called sanctuary cities be called upon to provide sanctuary? No, it seems. I mean, that was your framing and it was exactly right. It seems reasonable, right? If New York is going to sit there and if Washington, D.C. is going to sit there and call themselves a sanctuary city, then you know what, bro? Share the pain. Share in the burden. Share in the pain. Um, but it, it's it's notable that these cities are mad now that they have to offer sanctuary. You can't expect Texas and Arizona to bear the burden uh, entirely. But that is the the expectation of not just Latino corporate media, but the rest of the media. That seems to be the expectation. Um, and so there's outrage now at the fact that the governors, governors Abbott and, and Ducey would load people on the buses on a volunteer. By the way, what is not reported here is that this is on a voluntary basis. They don't just force people onto these buses. This is voluntary. They say, hey, hey who wants wanna, to get out of this desert? Do you want to go to? Yeah, where do you want to go? And the untold story is that a lot of these individuals end up in Florida. 
because they, they came from Venezuela. If they came from Venezuela or Cuba or sometimes Honduras, there are significant communities in Miami. That's where they end up. Well, that's because there was this story that the conservative media did that D.C. explicitly moved to put them on buses to Miami. Right. So, uh, you know, now now they're mad. Well, you know, this is this is what unchecked illegal immigration does. It puts burdens and it puts strains on society and sometimes in places where you don't expect. Well, so me... these cities should have to suck it up. And this media should expect that these are unintended consequences. And from the looks of it, they were very uncomfortable at having to report that. Well, there's D.C. and New York City. And where are most of our national journalists based? Hmm. Uh, you know, I want to put a bow on this with this, Jorge. And that is when I did a study on the network coverage of, of immigration in 2006 under George a W. Bush. They, you know, what was interesting that we noticed at the time was they never wanted to report on the burden on education systems, welfare systems, health systems, and uh, crime and prison systems. And suddenly, what is Mayor Adams of New York City lamenting that he needs more federal money because of those burdens? Because of all of those things that you just mentioned. So... This is why you have to come and check us out on MRC Latino. Now, if you are like, well, we can't play many audio clips because I we need an interpreter. You could ha actually you could probably talk over it, Jorge. But these video clips are amazing, and he puts the English translation on them for you. On MRC. everything is subtitled for your convenience. Yeah. So follow MRC Latino on Twitter. Follow Jorge at B O N I L L A J L. And come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.